Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. We are a house of abundance. It's because the God we serve is an abundant God. Just keep it simple. A God is an abundant God. In him there is no lack. I said in him there is no lack. And our Bible tells us that we live in his household. So whether we're experiencing it yet is not the issue. Belief comes before manifestation. I said belief comes before manifestation. And so the issue is that we believe, we see what God has said, we discover the promises, and we very simply believe them. We make a decision. Belief comes first from a decision to believe. And then as time goes, because of the decision to believe, I don't know how else to say this, belief happens. Where you, you know, it sounds contradictory, but you simply find yourself going, I actually believe this. (laughs) I'm not just quoting it. I'm just not talking about it to sound Christian. I believe this. My God will meet all of my needs because there's no lack in him. And because I've chosen to serve him with all of my flaws, remember, 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 it's not about you being perfect, but it's about you having a actual, well, it, it'll help a whole lot if you have a perfect desire toward him. But it's not about you being perfect, but it's about you seeing, surrendering literally to him And that's what allows him access to begin to do what he wants to do in your life. Do you hear me? Do you hear me really? But it's a a daily thing. Hallelujah. It's a daily thing. Just a a continual consecration. Father, here I am. I do it every single morning of my life. Father, here I am. Touch me. Heal me. Work with me. Fill my mouth. Help me be a blessing. I always love that verse that says, be mindful to be a blessing. And it just means that we're to live unselfishly. We're not to live for what we can get. We're to live for what we can give. Who can we help today? Who can I encourage? It's just so simple. And when you begin to live life from that position, just life gets so much better. I'm going to find someone today to encourage I'm just going to find somebody today I can speak a good word to. That's, it's just that simple. That's what he does. Every time you come before Almighty God, just like we saying, oh, you know, this love of his, he will love you because he can't do anything else because he is love. So it's love speaking. And this is why correction suddenly becomes easier and easier to receive because when you actually know that you know that you know that you know That it's love. Love is the reason correction is coming. I'm trying to get you to a better place. I'm trying to get you to something better. I'm not trying to take from you. I'm trying to add to you. These basic fundamental things are what we're called to believe. And in the believing, you will suddenly find yourself refreshed, quickened, healed, delivered. Because that's what salvation is. All of those things. Healing, deliverance, soundness of mind, refreshing. All of those things. That's what our Jesus 
does for us. I don't know about you, but that excites me. I'm going to keep it simple, but that excites me. That's what this is all about. That's what coming to a fellowship is all about. Learning to love one another and allow this love to come through us someone else. That's the heartbeat of God. Amen? Amen. Well, it is, whether you believe it or not. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Say hallelujah again, Jeff. I just thank God. I got Jeff over over here saying hallelujah, so all things will be well this morning. I had this, you know, because what I ministered last week on music, and I started that, I was... I would, you know, I really want that to get ingrained in us because I want us to see. I really had this whole thing. I studied all week long. I wanted to see for myself what Scripture said about the tabernacle of David. And uh, long story short, I'm not teaching on that. (laughs) But I studied the whole week for that. But then yesterday something happened at Mandate uh, when we as men met together. Just something that God gave me a word on Friday. He just, I was just reading. I'm going through my third reading of the Bible this year. I mean, I still do all, a lot of stuff in the New Testament. But anyhow, so I found myself going through First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. And I got in there, and I just was quickened by this issue of death and killing. So I thought, what better topic to have for a Sunday than how to kill? <laughs> death and killing. But seriously, because everything, God works in parallel. What I mean is he... He'll, you know, a parallel or a parable means something laid alongside a truth that helps to communicate it or teach it. And uh, so I just got struck. I mean, so one of the first passages I want us to read is a familiar one. If you go to 1 Kings chapter 18, this is when Elijah, remember, has this uh, confrontation with the prophets of Baal. Remember Baal, B-A-A-L. Baal was these gods that false gods that were around that other nations observed. and Israel was always making the mistake of serving of them and what have you. But let me just read some of this. I just want to get down to this bottom point, but just so that you can hear. In 1 Kings 18, I'm just going to read this one first. Verse 18, yeah. Elijah replied. Well, no, I better read verse 17 then. This is Ahab, this confrontation. When Ahab, remember Ahab being evil, Ahab and Jezebel. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Are you he who troubles Israel? Elijah replied, I have not troubled Israel, but you have and your father's house by forsaking the commandments of the Lord and by following the Baals. Therefore send and gather to me all Israel at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of the goddess Asherah who eat at Queen Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent to all the Israelites and assembled the prophets in Mount Carmel. Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you halt and limp between two opinions? And yet it's a very classic verse to teach from. If the Lord is God, if he is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. So he puts this challenge out. And he says, bring these bulls, get things prepared for sacrifice. And then in verse 25, Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one bull for yourself, dress it first, for you are many, and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. So they took the bull given them. This is 450 false prophets here. So they took the bull given them, dressed it, and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, oh, Baal, hear and answer us. But there was no voice. No one answered. And so they leaped upon or limped about the altar they had made. Now, forgive me, but 
I get illustrative, but I can't help but think. I mean, I try to see that. Try to picture 450 people right now. Let's say there's an altar right here in the middle. Like all of you guys dancing and leaping and jumping and all around this idol, this thing, you know, this altar. 450 people and Elijah's kicking back watching this. And they're verse 27. And this is one of the funniest verses of Scripture because Elijah mocks them. And Elijah mocked them saying, cry aloud. In other words, for maybe he, if, if for he is a God, maybe he's musing or maybe he's gone aside. You know what gone aside means? Maybe he's on the toilet. So he's, he's mocking them saying, maybe your God isn't answering because he's not available. He may be on the loo. Who knows? Hallelujah. Oh, well. Or he's gone aside or he's on a journey or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud. They cut themselves after the custom with knives and lances until the blood gushed out of them. Midday passed, they played the part of prophets until the time for offering the evening sacrifice, but there was no voice, no answer, no one who paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me, and all the people came near to him. And he repaired the old altar of the Lord that had been broken down by Jezebel. Then Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones, Elijah built an altar in the name of the self-revelation of the Lord. He made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two measures of seed. Then he put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces, laid it on the wood, and said, Fill four jars with water, and pour it on the burnt offering in the wood. And he said, Do it the second time. And they did it the second time. And he said, Do it a third time. And they did it the third time. In other words, Elijah is saying, I want this thing to be as wet as possible. So when God moves, you know it wasn't anything done by man, right? Verse 35 says, the water ran around about the altar, and he filled the trench also with water. At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you, the Lord, are God, and that they've turned their hearts back to you. Then the fire of the Lord fell, consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust, and also licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, he is God The Lord, he is God. Amen? Incredible thing. But now, it's the next verse, really. And I read all that just to get to this. And Elijah said, seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one escape. They seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon. And as God's law required, he slew them there. Now, what came up in me on Thursday or Friday and what I shared yesterday and what we got into and what I, I, I just kept hearing the word aggression. And God stopped me and he said, I want you to put yourself in this incident. Now, again, at the risk of what you think, like I said, parallels, so don't panic at the beginning. Close the door so nobody leaves. Hallelujah, one of those things. But Elijah is a man of God, Right? And God tells him to kill, I mean to kill, every one of these false prophets. And what began to happen in my spirit, I actually began to see this. Now, sadly, because of my, before I knew Christ, you know, you guys know some of my testimony. But, you know, I I did see death several times. 
And I was up close and personal with a lot of blood and stuff and, you know, things that will, God's erased most of it, but, you know, sometimes he'll bring it back and I see it again just because I see what I've escaped. But nevertheless, I just thought about, here's a man of God doing what God tells him to do. But part of what God tells him to do is to kill these enemies. I mean to kill them. I mean to kill them. Now think about it right now. If I brought like four or five people up here, I was thinking about bringing Jeff and Dej up here, bringing a sword from home. i got a couple of swords that different people have given me over the years. But think about actually physically, you watching this, all of Israel's there, and you watch me bring these people up who have been causing you to believe in false gods, who have been causing you to believe untruths, things that will hurt your life in the future. And God says, kill them. And I want all of Israel to watch you kill them. Now, it would probably leave you telling friends that you were at a different church service (laughs) if you watched me up here take 25 men and physically, think about it, 450 men, one man, Elijah, kills. This sword, number one, you know. (laughs) Next. Next. I mean, you're just, they're, I mean, they're kill, he's killing them as a man of God. That's his job, his job. Now, like I said, this is Old Testament, thank God. But I'm going to show you some scriptures because I, God wants us to see something here. You know, we talk about types and shadows, things that mean something, something that was done then that was a physical thing that speaks to something spiritual that still exists today. Do you know there's no place in Scripture where God ever said to make a truce with his enemies? There's no place in Scripture where God ever said make a truce with them. God knows who our enemies are. Do you hear me? And what I want you to see this morning, I just want you to see a little of God's attitude towards his enemies and the the descriptions or the prescriptions or the commands that he gave to his people as concerned. These things. I got one other verse too I want to read. Well, I've got a few verses I want to read. But one of them I want to read uh, is the, just this one made me laugh. And if I can find, yeah, Nehemiah, the very last chapter of Nehemiah, chapter 13. Now, this is, remember, the story in Nehemiah is like, is about Ezra, Nehemiah, when they were given the decree by King Cyrus that they could go back to Jerusalem and rebuild Jerusalem. This is a big, big, big deal. God's blessing. He speaks to a man, not even a covenant man. And he says, give them all the gold they need, all the timber, anything, the stones, whatever it is, give it to them that they may go and rebuild this city, Jerusalem. So they go back there and they start to build. But in the midst of building, a lot of the Israelites, a lot of quote unquote God's people still were doing stupid things. They were out, they were literally out front, you know, doing, going against what God's will was. And in some cases, that meant they were, you know, God, one of the things God said is do not allow your sons and daughters to marry people of foreign lands because those foreign lands will cause my people to begin to worship the gods they serve. Even out of curiosity, they'll begin to get taken away. Slowly but surely, they'll get taken away. Well, that's not God's will, to say the least. But as it gets in the middle of it, it says in Nehemiah 13, uh, I'll just start at verse 21. It's kind of in the middle of the story, but I just want to get down to this one to me, which is comical. 
But it says in verse 21, But I reproved and warned them, saying, Why do you lodge by the wall? If you do so again, this is God's man now, Nehemiah. I love this one too. He said, I'm going to lay hands on you. Now, in modern-day parlance, that means if you keep doing this, I'm going to whoop you. Okay? You understand? I'm going to start punching. You do this again. Now, I'm thinking maybe God wants to restore that kind of leadership to this church. You know, you know, you know what I mean? Who knows? Where when I see somebody like Des mess up, I'm just going to say, Des, I'm going to lay hands on you, man. And not in a nice way. You know what I mean? But listen to what, this is God's manner. It just began to make me think, I mean, how, how these were people doing things at God's will. God blessed it. He said, why do you lodge? If you do so again, I'm going to lay hands on you. Then they stopped coming on the Sabbath. These were people that, if you read previously, that they were just continuing to, they were continuing to profane the Sabbath day of God. God wanted them to keep that day holy. He wanted them to understand, he, you can have six other days, but this day is the day I want you to give yourself to me, give your attention. Like Julie spoke, would be attentive. Give your, give your attention to me. Verse 22, And I commanded the Levites to cleanse themselves and come and guard the gates to keep the Sabbath day holy. Oh, my God, earnestly remember me concerning this also and spare me according to the greatness of your mercy and loving kindness. Verse 23, in those days also I saw Jews who had married wives from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. In other words, these were people who served gods that gave child sacrifices, you know, constantly, like Milcom and Chemosh. Verse 24, And their children spoke half in the speech of Ashdod and could not speak the Hebrew, but in the language of each people. And just this is the verse, verse 25. <laughs> this cracks me up. <clears throat> And I contended with them, reviled them. I beat some of them and pulled out their hair. Now, I just think that kind of leadership is needed today. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. How many of you want godly leadership? But see, think about that. But I got stopped because it seems funny to us, but I got stopped because I was thinking, now, these guys were doing this, and God approved of it. It says he beat some of them. He beat them. That means just what it says in front of the rest of the people. He beat them <laughs> because they, they went against what God said. Denise looks worried. Don't worry, Denise. You know. <laughs> but he beat them, and some of them says he pulled their hair out. Now, that's trippy. I mean, I would I, maybe we'd have a new office. I'd, I'd anoint Bobby to be the hair puller outer, you know. And so, so if one of you mess up, you know, Keith, you keep messing up. I'm gonna have Bobby come right. You're gonna come right. Bobby's gonna pull your hair right out your head, and that should speak to everybody else. <laughs> that should tell you all you need to be cool. Don't sin against God. Stop doing stupid things. And God says, if you don't, he's got guys in charge that are going to beat you, going to lay hands on you, going to pull your hair out. <laughs> well, like I said, this began to hit me. And God said, there's an aggression that's lacking in my people today. There's too much passivity in the midst of my people today. He said, they're too, they're, they're too unconcerned about the things that I know will kill them. You hear me? And he says, you've got, to have a, you've got to have some grit, as we used to say in the States. You've got to have some grit in you, some old-fashioned aggression in you. 
Our God is not a God. It's, see, Christianity is not all about being kissy, kissy, gooey, gooey. It isn't. Remember, he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's not the mouse. He is the lion. Under those shepherd's robes, there is a suit of armor. Never forget that. Our God is mighty in battle. Do you hear me? Now, you just stick with me. Now, just for, now go to 1 Samuel 15, if you would. 1 Samuel 15. And, you know, there's some freaky stuff in the Bible. Hallelujah. 1 Samuel 15, the prophet Samuel told Saul, verse 1. The prophet Samuel told Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now listen and heed the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have considered. Everybody say the Lord is considered. In other words, he's watched this. I have considered and will punish what Amalek did to Israel. How he set himself against the way when Israel came out of Egypt. Verse 3, now go and smite Amalek and utterly, everybody say utterly, if you want, and utterly destroy all they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox, sheep, camel, and donkey. And I mean, they took them. And there's entered something in here. They, they went in and... And, you know, when you really think about these soldiers, now the Amalekites, the Bible says, see, the Amalekites represent basically the satanic forces that are come against, that come against God's people. Uh, Amalek more than any other tribe because the scripture says that Amalek, that Israel will have war with Amalek forever. And what that means is that the spirit behind Amalek is a spirit that's still at work today. And God says, I want you to kill anything and everything that's in that village. I mean, everything. But again, I just stopped and I thought about, you know, these men, these soldiers of Israel who obeyed this command. I mean, they had souls. Do you know what I mean? Like us, they were flesh and blood. But think about what had to be in them, in their character. Or... In, can I use the word commitment? In their commitment, I mean, if I thought about, like we just saw little Hannah up here singing, or like, you know, we saw little uh, Chris and Emma's little daughter was there a minute, Nylani was just there a minute ago. But can you imagine going into a place and, you know, taking a sword, and I mean thrusting a sword through the women, but thrusting a sword through babies, little five-year-old kids. How could God ordain that? Well, there's a reason. But again, like I said, this, these are all parallels that represent something. They happened physically in those days. But it shows God's attitude because God knows, listen, listen. God knows what would happen if those peoples continued? Now, even in this story right here, where he tells Saul to go in there and utterly destroy them, do you remember what he does? He, they kill everybody, but Saul, for some reason, brings back the king, Agag, A-G-A-G. -A -G. He brings back the king and, and doesn't kill him. 
And then the prophet comes and says, you sinned against God. You have sinned against God. Now, this, you know, from this point on, you know, God's actually going to remove his spirit from you because you didn't kill them all. You didn't kill them all. A little bit later, actually, I wrote down some stuff. So I want to, I, I want to read this thing. I, I was studying something and I found this. I forget who said this. This is not mine, but listen to this. Unlike us, God knows the future. God knew what the results would be if Israel did not completely eradicate the Amalekites. If Israel did not carry out God's orders, the Amalekites would come back to trouble the Israelites in the future. And I remember, quote, unquote, we are, we are Israel. In other words, we're the body of Christ. We're God's people. Is that correct? We're God's people. I said we're God's people. So hear this. If God's people, if Israel does not carry out God's orders, our enemy, the Amalekites, will come back to trouble the Israelites, trouble us in the future. Call, excuse me, Saul claimed to have killed everyone but the Amalekite king Agag in 1 Samuel 15, 20. Obviously, Saul was lying. Now listen, because of this, and he let a few others go, because he let some of them go, because he let some of them go, just a, two decades later, because he let some of them go, there were enough Amalekites to take David and his men's families captive out of Ziglag. They took these people. In 1 Samuel 30, verses 1 and 2, after David and his men attacked the Amalekites and rescued their families, there were still, it says, 400 Amalekites that escaped. If Saul had fulfilled what God had commanded him, this never would have occurred. Now think about this, he says, this guy said, Several hundred, several hundred years later, a descendant of Agag, Haman, tried to have the entire Jewish people exterminated. See that in the book of Esther. So Saul's incomplete obedience almost resulted in Israel's destruction. In other words, God sees how this will work itself out in the future. You hear me? God knew this would occur, so he ordered the utter extermination of the Amalekites ahead of time. Now, what I'm trying to get to here, like I said, is I begin to look at this and think about my God. You know, and then I've got several scriptures listed on some of my notes. I went back and I looked through 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Chronicles. And I thought about the men of God and how they went out. Do you know, in, in David's reign, David reigned seven years over Judah, 33 years over Israel, and altogether he reigned 40 years. But because David when it came to warfare, David constantly only, there's only two times where he messed up. And the one time is when he, he did not consult the Lord. The other time is when, again, he called for a census among the people. And God, it says, did not like this reliance on human resources. And so, you know, a plague came. But the point is, there was only, there was one major occasion where you see this laid out, and you have to be kind of careful when you share this in a church setting, like I said yesterday to some of the guys. Do you remember the setting where, where, God's, where God told him to go in, utterly wipe everybody out, don't take anything of theirs at all, just knock them, kill them, kill them all. But they go up, but this one guy, it's the battle of AI, but this one guy comes back, but he sees some of the silver and the gold, and he takes some of it, and he goes and hides it in his tent. And the next time they go out to battle, Israel, the only place Israel suffers some defeat, the only place that some of Israel's soldiers die. Very interesting. 
It's only when Israel was out of the will of God because of the Amalekites or because of what they did, because they let the influences of these other nations get in their life, that caused it to be sinned before God and caused their battles not to be won. Now, that's profound. But in this situation with Ai, remember, they come, they go out to battle, and they come, and, you know, and several of the Israelites are killed. The soldiers are killed, and David throws himself before God and says, God, why? what has happened? What has happened? What is going on? And remember that classic statement, God says, because there's sin in the camp. And because there's sin in the camp, he said, you cannot go out and be prosperous. You cannot go out and be victorious. Now, like I said, you have to be careful in this because often the old Pentecostal preachers would go, you know, there's a lot of things God wants to do in this church, but there must be sin in the camp. Which one of you is a sinner? I'll scare you just from <laughs> No, but you you know, which one, you know, and there can be sin in the camp and it can detour, it can distract the blessing of God. But by parallel, what I want you to see, I hardly ever teach on sin in this church because God doesn't teach on a lot. He just says, avoid it. <laughs> but the point of the matter is you can have, I want, God wants us to see how things are delayed, if not destroyed and corrupted when we have sin in our camp, and I'm talking about my life. He said, you can't be totally victorious, Rod, as long as you continue to pussyfoot around this thing in your life that you know is not my perfect will for you. You hear me? Now, did you really hear me? Whatever that bell was, maybe that's God trying to get your attention. I don't know. (laughs) But how strong is this truth? And see, Aggression, though, God kept saying, I want you to see how these guys had to be. They, they were committed to the point of putting, not, you know, putting swords through babies, five-year-olds, six-year-olds. I mean, like, think about, like, I was, because of Kenny being there, think about their children, these little girls, how beautiful. Can you having that for a soldier to be able to go into this place and I'm, I put a sword through these little girls? My God, and I just say, God, you know, I don't understand. But he said, no, you don't understand. He said, it speaks to something that's still in the church today. He said, you don't play with evil or it'll burn you, it'll corrupt you, it'll, it'll cripple you. And that's this old truth about, you know, you have, and what I'm trying to get at to the, today is this. You have to have an aggression in your spirit. You have to have a holy aggression in your spirit to confront the stuff that would try to kill you. But see, God knows, we think it's little things it's just a little bitty thing. It's no big deal. But see, God knows what it can grow into. Do you know that leprosy is the only sickness in the Old Testament where to think about this, if somebody was to be cleansed of leprosy, they didn't go show themselves to a doctor. The prophets, the command of God was show yourself to a priest. Now, why go to a priest instead of a doctor? to be declared healed because leprosy in the Old Testament is a type and shadow of sin. It's a type of sin. And the only way you get free from sin is to go to the great high priest Jesus, right? But the thing about leprosy is, you've heard, I think I've shared on this before at some point, the way leprosy works, it always appears as something very tiny, a little spot on your skin. 
just a little spot. Looks like absolutely nothing. But the way leprosy works is it goes down into the flesh and begins to send out these little tentacles that begin to destroy living cells, destroy skin itself, but the living cells. And it begins to spread until it causes perfect, when you read about it, it says the leprosy will cause perfect decay. I thought, what a weird use of words. It will cause perfect decay in the physical flesh of a human being. But that's only after it's worked itself down does it begin to, quote, unquote, display itself outwardly. But see, that's how you can see then what God's trying to say about sin. Sin works the very same way. It looks like nothing. It's a little tiny thing. No big deal. Everybody say no big deal. It's no big deal. It's no big deal. I mean, it's wrong. I shouldn't do it, but it's no big deal. Years ago when I was still with the program at Teen Challenge after I got delivered out of prison and got blessed and went there and was taught the Bible, you know, like you've heard me say four or five hours a day, five days a week. You know, I, 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 they took me on to be the, like a, an assistant. Well, I was the admissions guy. They'd, anyhow. But uh, I always remember people would always come and they'd say stuff about drugs back in those days. They'd say about, like they'd talk about marijuana. And again, I have shared this but they'd say, well, marijuana's no big deal, man. I'm not using smack. I'm not using heroin or coke or something like that. It's just marijuana. What's the big deal? And see, back in those days, you know, we would say it this way. Well, yeah, but it can lead on to harder stuff. But the point is that it, that was the truth. See, it wasn't that marijuana in and of itself was the big deal. But listen to me. This is what you got to hear. But the attitude, the attitude, see, that being in your nature, that, that's something that's in you that says it's no big deal. That's the danger. That's what will screw up your future. I really want you to hear this. That attitude of it's no big deal. It's so small. But see, God, our Father, He knows what those things can end up producing. And this is why, like I said, all these things are types and samples. Kill them all. God says, utterly destroy them. Don't let one of them left breathing. I mean, anything and everything that's theirs. God wants us absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. Listen, in the natural, we all know we will never be perfect before God as far as in our flesh, will we? Because we're still in our flesh. But God wants today, he wants us to have absolute purity of spirit. In fact, there's a verse, I forget, I think it's in Philippians, I may be wrong, where it says that he, he said that you might be uh, cleansed from all spiritual filthiness. He talks about spiritual filthiness. But again, I, I, aggression. And I just kept thinking about all these soldiers and all these things. And I thought about how used these guys were. I mean, you know, I, there's all these verses about when David's guys went out, 2 Samuel 8, 5. He kills 22,000 men. Now, again, I, God stopped me, like I said last week. And he, you know, I've been in conferences before where there's at least four, five, six, seven thousand, 7,000. And I've been in stadiums and playing football, you know, football. And we've seen 85, 95,000 people together, right? But 22,000 is a big number of people. I said 22,000 is a big number of people. And I'm thinking about, I mean, what their life was really like. I mean, all of God's men, listen to me, 
all of them were warriors. They all, they all, they all had to be willing and able to go to war against even today in Israel. Every young man, every woman, every man and woman in Israel has to go into armed forces, has to go into the Israeli armed forces. You know that, right? Every one of them. It's not a whether or not you want to. You will go. So to a degree, every single man and woman in Israel knows how to handle a weapon. You hear me? They've been trained. Every single one of them knows how to kill, how to fire a weapon downrange. Think about that. Why? Because their life can depend upon it. But so here David's men go to 22,000. I'm thinking, what's it look like to have 22,000 corpses in front of you? But that's nothing. You go on down, like I said, 2 Samuel 8, 13, 18,000. 2 Samuel 10, 18, he kills 47,000. 2 Samuel 18, 7, another 20,000. 2 Samuel 23, 8, one man kills 800. Remember one of David's mighty men. There were the 30 men that were the, really the bad boys, the, the 30 boys. But then there was three of them that were the elite. There's three guys. It's an incredible story to go into sometime. But this one dude... And I, like I said, I because sadly about being in prison, you know, I've seen riots and I saw what's, you know, I've had a close friend, like I said, they got killed right in front of me. They stabbed him 72 times right in front of me. I mean, I'm three feet from him, but these riot gates came down. So I'm stuck on this side of the bars and he's there with the wrong people. It's a long story, a long corridor. And every, I don't know what it was, 20 meters when they hit this bell this thing falls in the ceiling, these bars to shut everything off. And he got caught on the wrong side. And I'm right here and he's right there. And I watched him get stabbed 72 times. And uh, there was enough blood in one man. But can you imagine one dude killing 800 people? I mean, one guy, because God's anointing is on him, and because they're God, those are God's enemies. And see, all of this, you got to don't, I mean, yes, see the horror of it, but see the courage in it and see what can be in us. I don't care if 800 people come at me. If I'm in God's will, I'm going to kill him. And you got to see what I'm trying to say. Today, the scripture says, God is for us. God's with us. Why did all those, why did all those wars get won? Why did it say God gave David victory everywhere he went? Over and over it says that God gave David victory and, and everywhere he went because God was with him. And see, the father's trying to say, listen to me. I, I, I'm with you. I'll give, why would he not give you victory? Seriously not. See, don't just, just, don't just let it be a Sunday morning church preaching stuff. Our attitude needs to be, you know, this, doesn't, this may not be pleasant. I don't want to put a sword in a five-year-old. But God sees something I don't. And so if the Holy Spirit reveals something to me that this is just simply not right with heaven, you know what? I'm going to kill it. I'm not going to pet it. I'm not going to make excuses for it. I'm not going to get counseling for it. I'm going to slit its throat. Good Sunday morning message. No, but you know, but see, I mean, it just really hit. God said to me, there's not enough aggression in my church today. 
You know, we need to teach, you know, you know, I teach the love walk. I teach the love walk more than anything else. And I teach the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ because I believe in it totally. But see, there is still an enemy. And this is why even about our worship, why I take that so seriously, because again, like I'm going to try to get into that next week, maybe, you know, what I've been studying all this last week about more about the tabernacle, really why and what it produces. It's not just about music and sound, but music and sound is a gigantic part of it. But the point is, God, God's put these patterns in scripture for us to see and understand that our freedom will come from the same implementation of instructions that he gave them. He gives them to us in another form, but nevertheless, they're the same as far as there needs to be a violence about us. You may not think, but you really, there needs to be something in us that doesn't pussyfoot around with this stuff. Because God sees what in the future will happen. He said, kill him. <laughs> but again, I don't know why. I just keep going back to this, you know, go walking into a town, man, and thrusting my swords into these kids, pregnant women, cows, camels, mules, anything, dogs, kill them all. Is one thing, I'm one place where it says, kill anything that has breath in it. But think about God ordaining this. This is God's will. But because he knows that what's within that, they may be some sweet people, but what's in the spirit of those people will infect you. Now, again, do not let your daughters marry people of foreign nations because they will induce your, brother, your sons and your brothers to worship the gods they worship. Don't do it. I said, don't do it. I said, don't do it. But many of the priests, like I said, when you read Nehemiah, that he was so shaken up because many of the priests had foreign wives. And God forced them to divorce them. And the rest of them, they killed. They killed them. I mean, that's heavy stuff to me, man. You know, this is my loving, loving God. But again, you have to, I had to see that, I need to see that, I need to somehow equate that over to this dispensation in things of the Spirit. See, I have to be honest with myself. But see, I'm trying to, what I'm trying to share with you this morning is what, God, again, is I want you to please be honest with yourself. We know in Hebrews it says we need to lay aside the sin that doth so easily beset us. In other words, that, and that speaks of this very thing, that little thing, that, you know, it's not a big deal. But there, see, there's the attitude again, it's not a big deal. But as I went on to read, I mean, anyhow, one guy kills 800 men. First Chronicles 5.21, they kill 100,000. I thought that was a lot. Second Chronicles 13.19, um, Judah, sadly, fighting against Israel, because Israel is outside of the will of God. 500,000, half a million Israeli, Israel, Israelite soldiers are killed because of them being out of the will of God. But then... What really corked it off is, like I said, in Second Chronicles 14, the Ethiopians came against them, and it says there were a million of them in their army, more than could be counted, and Israel wiped them all out. And then the thing, again, in the midst of this, I have to add as well, is in most cases, the odds were totally against God's people. In other words, let's put it this way, 100,000 enemies, and you got 20,000. 
And yet over and over again, we win. I said, we win. Not because we have bigger numbers. Not because we've got bigger muscles. But because we have God with us. Please, please, really meditate on the fact that you and I today have God not only with us, but because of this incredible miracle, Christ and God Almighty is in us. How can I fail when victory and success live inside of me? Victory, God's name is victory. Thanks be unto God who always leads us in the triumph, right? Right, is that what it says? So, but he's in you and me. But I say again, the only place that David's men or God's people failed was when they didn't, was when they allowed this other stuff to come in. Idolatry. Other stuff. You know, just these, these sins that so easily beset us. There was sin in the camp. And so they couldn't win. So uh, let me let me read this other note. Like I said here, um, I wrote this: the enemy's job in the from the very beginning. Think about Genesis, the very beginning. Kill the babies, right? That's why against we're why we're again so against abortion. It's the same spirit. See, that's something actually. People have to wake up. It's the same spirit from the very beginning. Kill the babies. The enemy's job was and is to corrupt God and to corrupt creation, to destroy Israel with attacking armies, to destroy them by getting them to make alliances with those who would pull them into idolatry. But listen, the result, if they would have been successful in pulling all the Israelites into idolatry, This guy said the result would have been the failure of the prophecies that foretold the coming Messiah because he was supposed to come through the line of Israel. Now, wait, stop. I'm going to read that again because you need to apply that to you. Many of you have had good prophecies. We have God's word is prophecy to us. But listen to this statement again. His job has always been to corrupt creativity to corrupt creation, to destroy. He does it basically three ways, by bringing actual armies against them or by getting them to make alliances with those who would pull them into idolatry. That's why that brings up a whole other situation. Who are your closest friends? You know, who do you really fellowship with? Uh, You know, who do you really understand? Who may be influencing you? And you, you, you have to be aggressive. You need to have a violence about you. If you're not big enough to influence them, they are influencing you. You know, that's just the way it is. Mike, how you doing? I do, I do think about Mike. I mean, you know, like Mike Brown, I'm just saying, you know, who you know, we love. But I think about, like, I'm not just trying to draw attention to him again. But, you know, because Mike's a professional musician and he plays in bands and, you know, the wonderful thing about, you know, when he played with George Michael for that time, that world tour, he's on all that stuff. And you think about the people that, you know, he get well, any of our musicians understand. 
when you get around Christians. You know, when you get in that world, <laughs> sometimes you aren't around angels. You understand? Sometimes you're just not around angels. And, I, you know, I can say the same thing, like I said, you know, the, who's going to end, who's, who's big enough? And Mike has to, and I always enjoyed the thing when he shared with us at the beginning how, it, you know, they did that while George didn't, I mean, do, f- f- correct me if I'm wrong, but like you said, you know, he, George respected your faith. You know what I mean? And he said that, you know, you know like you'll see guys at concerts, big, big uh, guys, they'll always have like prayer. Michael Jackson used to have prayer before his concert, all that kind of stuff. And some of them may think it's kind of corny because they're not maybe serving God real big. But I mean, like Mike, they would always ask Mike, share with me, and I forget who else, you know, George would always ask Mike to pray for them. And, um, but you see, that's because they recognize them. But somewhere along the line, see, Mike didn't bow. What I'm trying to get at, you know, they knew he drew a line somewhere where he said, guys, you may do this, but that's not what I do. Right? And all I'm trying to say is in every one of our lives, we need to draw, there's, we need to draw a line. Is what I'm saying, where we just simply, you know, and we need to be honest with ourselves. We, see, like I said, what you don't confront, what you don't confront will either contain you or cripple you in your future. Did you hear? I'm going to say that again. What you don't confront, I mean the stuff that's silly, what you don't confront, I'm just trying to, you know, we don't beat people over the head about making mistakes and sin because, like I said, we're called to bless and not curse. But nevertheless, you have to understand what the truth is. If you don't have enough aggression in you to confront some of this stuff, I can guarantee you your future will be corrupted or crippled. Now, see, do you, I don't want that for you. I don't want anybody's future crippled. And sure, like we that are mothers and fathers, my God, I do not want my children's lives crippled. And so it's one of the toughest things there is in parenthood, isn't it? When you, kids, I mean, one of the first words a child learns is what? No. No. Headstrong, man. And right now, I mean, it's amazing how, I know, I mean, we, Julie and I, where were we? Just the other day, we watched, oh, just on the street, we had, oh, yesterday, where, well, this guy was walking, and he had a little girl that must have been two years old, and they're walking, and then she just stopped, and she stopped and looked at this, she just stopped and stared. And her daddy was going, come on, come on, and, come on, come on, and she just went, and she just stopped. I mean, you'd have to see her. She just stopped. And he said, come on. He grabbed her by the hand and pulled her, and she walked two steps, and then she went. <laughs> you know, just, and it's a trip. because It's just a little, that's stubborn. I'm going to see if I can make a boundary. <laughs> really? No. And you're going, come on, baby, just go. No. And what do you do? You love her, you know, so you want to yank, and this guy just picked her up, put her on his shoulder, and started walking, you know. You know, and then she's going, but it just, it just, it, <laughs> there's something in us from the beginning that doesn't come from God. And here we are, we're, we love our children and we have to say, honey, don't do that. Honey, no, trust daddy. I am a little older than you. Uh, this will hurt you in your future. And, but even their attitude, this is why it's so tough sometimes when you have a really headstrong child. Oh, my gosh. You know, you love them to bits, and you're trying to help them. And, but, you know, do you remember when you were 13 and 14? You know what I'm going to say already. I mean, I know everything. 
I mean, that's just weird. My mom and dad don't know zip. You don't understand anything, dad. You're an old fogey. I always remember Jamie saying that that's one day, one day, Julie and I, we were actually in Spain driving. He was in the back seat. He actually made a nice comment at first. He said, you guys are actually okay for a couple of old folks. He said, folks. I thought, what? He did. He said, it. I turned around at him. I said, what'd you call me? He said, well, I mean, I know I'm saying you guys are okay, you know, for a couple of fogies. Then another time he said something about dad. He said, you don't understand. He said, you don't understand. That's not, you don't know what cool is. And I looked at him and said, punk, I knew what cool was before you were born. You know, I walked in what was hip and what was cool before you were even breathing, dude. I know what cool is, but you know, but to him at that age, you know, you don't, you don't know what cool is for me, what we do today. And you know what I mean? It's tough. Like, you know, I can't help them. Look at Matt and Charlotte and think about their daughter sitting there, you know. It's a lovely young lady, what have you like that. And it's tough because, you know, but thank God. I mean, I so appreciate the fact that you come to church. I do. I love the, I love the fact that young people are really coming into the faith and really coming in. But think about it. I mean, they had, I'm just saying, but that's how God is with all of us. He loves us. He's just saying, this will hurt you. I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm not trying to condemn you. But lay aside the sin that does so easily beset you. It will corrupt. It will cripple your future. Confront it now. But see, the thing is, we kind of all, listen, and this is my final point, I guess. I, I got to get to because I'm, I'm doing okay, actually, for Rod. Hallelujah. <laughs> um, we have a culture that's still in the church now, because of the last three or four decades of ministry that's, that we've seen, we have a culture where if you really look at it, it's now, it's a culture where they want to come, they want the guy at the front to wave the wand over them and heal them. But they, you want Rod and Julie, you, you want somebody up here and it's not see, so wrong, is it? Because, I mean, you know, you're supposed to, quote, unquote, respect the men and women of God that sat in the offices. But the point is, there's still this passivity. we got to go back to that. Again, Jack Hayford, one of the most incredible apologists in the Christian church is still alive today. He's the one that said the number one way you recognize religious demons in a church is when you find passivity. In church. See, so we get passive. I want, well, let's go and let's have the minister pray for me. Now, that's not wrong, is it? I happily pray for anybody. But the point is, what else could God be doing in our midst? If, bless God, there was an aggression in you that sits back. And you know what? I have just as much access to God as any minister on this planet. As much as I esteem Kenneth Copeland, as much as I esteem Bill Johnson, as much as I esteem, you know, Benny Hinn or whoever, I don't know, Billy Bunch. <laughs> I mean, I have the same access to God. And you know what? Bless God, I'm going to put on my big boy boots. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to press into this stuff for myself. 
Uh, one of the ways I'm going to do that is I'm going to start doing what some of these heroes that I have do. I'm going to start saying no to some stuff, and I'm going to mean it. I'm going to mean it. When I say no, I'm going to mean it. I'm going to mean it. Aggression. So my prayer, Father, is that you would bring a holy aggression into us. That somehow we would see what you were really doing when you were commanding the utter extermination of a people because you saw what would happen in the future. In this case, you saw that all of Israel, the the Messiah himself, wouldn't come if these enemies weren't abolished. Think about that. The prophecies would not be fulfilled had these many armies, these many armies of God's enemies not been destroyed. (sighs) That's profound. Father, you've said some good words about us and some good words about your people here. And while they're surely good words, they're surely the word of heaven. Father, I'm just asking that there be some kind of an awakening in our own personal lives and spirits and our thinking that we simply actually recognize, um, why would I want to delay this by allowing this, this sin, this area where I am missing it, to continue to be in my life? Why would I, I don't want this little spot to fester, to grow deeper, and then only to find it to manifest three years from now where my life is crippled. That's not your will. That's not my Father's will. Your will is good. Your your will is that we be a blessed people. Your will is that we walk in the fullness of the glory of heaven. Again, why? So that the world might see that you're a living God and that you're worthy of serving. Hallelujah. You are a living God. You're ready, willing, and able to show yourself alive. So, Father, this morning, all I'm trying to do is help this group of people Come to grips with something very simple. There are some things that are attitudes that can really cripple our future. I'm asking you to shine your light. Holy Spirit, you're the illuminator. Shine your light, even right this moment, on our people. Some of them know instantly. They know. They know. They know. I mean, they know what you've been speaking to them about over and over again to stop doing. Or in some cases, it's something you've been telling them to start doing. Father, grant them them this holy aggression where they just rise up, like I said, put on their armor, put on their boots, put that helmet on, take that sword, and bless God, go to war and kill this thing. Just kill it. Wipe it out. I mean, wipe it out so that their future can be far more secure and their children's lives can be far more secure because what we do today affects our seed tomorrow. So in the name of Jesus, I'm asking for a supernatural, holy aggression to come into the spirit of my people that are before my eyes right this moment. I'm asking in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, whom I serve, for a holy aggression to come into the spirit of this people that they will have the boldness and the courage 
to rise up and to confront this stuff and to say, no, I'm not going to toy with this, nor will I allow this to cripple my future because I love the ones that are in my life. If I'm crippled, they're going to have to witness my crippling. So, Father, help me love myself enough to understand that in loving myself, I'm loving those whom I love. Father, please help them catch that. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, even right now, amen. Just a minute. Just, yeah, you can come on up in just a minute. But even right now, well, what, what you got to share, Nate? I trust you. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I want to say in light of that right now, let's, I, we, need to do, I, we need to make some of us a declaration right now. And I'm, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but I mean, who doesn't have something in their life? Do you know what I mean? But nevertheless, if you know that you know that you know that I'm particularly you, that you, if I'm be, just be honest, don't be embarrassed because you, you need to be free. God wants you, God wants you free. Rod wants you free. We all want we want our brothers and sisters free. But if you know, I mean, if you know there's, that, there's this one thing in particular that's really messing with you, you know, I want you to declare war on it. But I want to join with you. But if, that, if that's you, if you've got something, you know, you, you're, you're honest. I, I want this out of my life. Remember, it's not, a shame to, it's not a shame to have a problem. It's a shame to keep a problem. Right? But if you've got something that you know is right there trying to nail you to the mast, do I want you to stand up and I want you to come forward. I really do so that we can join in this and kill it. Somebody bring me a sword. <laughs> no, really, go ahead and come on up. We're family. You know that you know that you know. I'm sorry. If there's not room, just spread out somewhere. Hallelujah. The way the, the Lord blesses is with words. The way curses come is with words. And I'm not going to ask every single one of you to name out in front of everybody the sin that does so easily beset you. But I know there's a few I might ask. <laughs> I know Mike Powell's in, Mike Powell's in line. I'm definitely going to have Mike Powell tell everybody what he's messed up with. No, no seriously, though, did, do you, did, did, did some of you hear me this morning? And, it, you know, this thing about going into a city and killing. I mean, taking a sword, these little babies and stuff. I mean, it sounds so horrific. But I, I'm hoping that you've, you see what God's trying to say. I'm trying to save your future. I, I want you to have the best. I don't want you to have stuff that's constantly going to delay my word to you, my prophecy, my word to you. I don't want these things delayed. But your own actions, I mean, this, this is literally a scripture. Your own actions have created distance between me and you and the blessing that I've ordained for your life. So you know what? One of the things you have to do is something called repent. Repent means 
to a total change in attitude and the way you think, the way you act, it does mean a 180-degree turn. Repent means you say, you remember, sin goes, I learned this from Ed Cole, sin goes out by way of the mouth. You confess this out of my life. Like guys, when we had to come up, their problem was pornography. Dr. Cole would just tell them, say this right out loud. I confess this pornography out of my life. And like I said, you got to be aggressive. So it's not like, I want this, I, I want this to be gone from me. No, no, no. I tell you, like if I would have shared what I was been studying, there's a whole lot of places I got to tell you where it's all about shouting. God's not afraid of shouts. But sin goes out by way of the mouth. So, but repentance means a total turn when you actually make the decision, I'm going to change this. Now, see, you've got to have some aggression. So are you up here because you're willing to be aggressive about this? Yes. Seriously. I can't make you do that. I can't wave a wand. See, now, why don't you do this? Close your eyes. Don't look at me because I'm not the deliverer. Don't look at me. Do your best to think on God right now because you're standing, as it were, truly, you're standing before heaven right now. You've heard his word, and you're standing before him. And I, I, like I said, and I'm assuming that you're here because you mean business. I said because you mean business. I want this done with. I'm tired of this thing hanging around me. I've, I want it out. I'm just, I'm tired. I want it done. I want it done. So, under your own breath, would you say this with me? Father, I have made a decision this morning. I want this thing out of my life. I want it dead. I want it killed. I want it obliterated. In the name of Jesus. So, Father... Right now, before you, I open my heart and I open my mouth and I make a declaration in front of you. You've got to have the courage now to actually say it some, some form. Even if it, you, I don't care if you say it just under your breath. Like I said, we're not here to be embarrassed. But I want you to, you, to yourself, you're going to have to speak it out. As, as uncomfortable as that may feel. But just, uh, you need to say this. I speak death to this. Say it's lying. I speak death to this. I speak death to pornography. I speak death to lust. I speak death to this thing. It's sin. It's trying to kill me. So what, let's, you do that right now. In the name of Jesus Christ, I want you right now just to just do it. I declare, I speak death to this. I speak death to this thing. Now, again, if you've got the courage, speak it out. I speak death to you. I rebuke you, pornography. I rebuke you, whatever it may be. No longer will you control my life. No more. No more. Today is the day. I say goodbye to you. I say goodbye to you. My God is able. My God is more than able. I am always going to be triumphant in Christ Jesus. 
I am always going to be triumphant in Christ Jesus. My destiny is freedom. My destiny is absolute freedom. I will not allow my life to be crippled any longer. I stop you in Jesus' name. I will not give in to you. I will not give in to you. My God is greater. His strength is greater. His strength is greater. His name is bigger. In the mighty name of Jesus. Now, Father, I accept and I receive my freedom. I receive my freedom. I receive my freedom. And I give you praise. I give you honor. I give you glory. I am altogether victorious because I walk in your name. And you are forever with me. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I am free. I am free. I am free. I am free. I am a free man. I am a free woman. I'm free. I am free. In the mighty name of Jesus. Now, hallelujah. Just give God praise. It's up to you. It's not an emotion. You may, some of you might get emotional, but it's not about being emotional. Like I said, it's aggression. I'm talking about saying, no, this is it. Now, the devil, of course, he'll try to come back again. That's his job. But now there's going to be a greater force in you. There's something going to rise up in you called the Holy Ghost. It's going to be greater and stronger because it is true the greater is he that's in you than he that's in this world. And now instead of kind of leaning and wanting to say yes to it, you're going to say, no, 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 no. On the 21st of October, 2018, I said no to you and I meant it. And in the name of Jesus Christ, you've got no power over me. You have no power any longer over me. I've confessed you out of my life. I confess you out of my body. You're out of my culture. You're out of my life in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Now you got to be that militant. I hope you're not, I'm not crazy. I'm telling you the truth. You got to be that militant. You got to be unafraid. Some, this is why I tell people something. You got to learn to get alone sometimes and shout. You really do. I'm t- it's all through the book. The victory came with shouting a lot of times. There's something that happens physically in your body when you shout. It's just like when you when you go to war. I mean, those times when I really was in bad situations in prison and stuff, it's that adrenaline rush that comes up where you just bless God. You don't even feel when you get hit upside the head, you get hit in the kidneys, and you don't even feel it because there's, a, there's something's on you, man. There's adrenaline's in you, and you just bust on through. And I'm telling you, you clock somebody. You t- forgive me, but I mean, you take them out. You take them out. You just take them out because something is bigger than you. That's in your than what's in your enemy. So I'm sorry. There is this side of Christianity. I'm not sorry, but there is this side. It's not all being gentle and being sweet. 
Sometimes to be free, you've got to do what it takes to be free. But see, I can't do that for you. But you just, many of you just did it. So you know what? You need to expect to freedom. Amen? All right, well, give God some glory. And Emmanuel's going to sing. Emmanuel's going to lead us in a song. Hallelujah. Amen. Victory. Amen. That indeed is what that shofar sound meant. There are many shofar calls, but the main long one, it did indeed. It meant victory. It meant victory over our enemies. Aggression. Everybody say aggression. Look to whoever you're sitting next to and say, I'm going to be aggressive. I'm trying to picture Charlotte being aggressive. I'm going to be aggressive. I'm going to be more aggressive. I'm going to deal with me. I'm not. Listen, 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 listen to me. Let's say it's something in your flesh. I'm not going to let this body dictate to my life. I'm not going to let those thoughts rule my thinking anymore. I know what to do. He says, cast them down. If he said, cast them down, I can cast them down. I said, if he said it, I can do it. And I give you the honest-to-God truth, not trying to brag or anything. But like I said, that's something that God's given me a great breakthrough in. Because I got challenged so long in my head with wrong thinking or lustful thoughts used to come because of being in prison. Everybody's got nudity everywhere. You know, there's just junk everywhere. Just the world's crap. And I'm not like anybody else. And when I was younger, man, that stuff would go. But I learned how to say, no, I mean, no. I choose something far more beautiful. I'm going to think on the, and you can think on those things that are just. Think on those things that are honest. Think on those things that are lovely. Think on those things that are pure. Think on those things that have a, a good prayer, good, you know, a good report. That there be any virtue, many praise. I'm going to think on those things. So I started telling myself, I told myself, this is how you're going to think. And you know what? You can do it. I found myself doing it. This is what I love, like the way Bill Johnson said, like even dealing with people. I, I love people. I'm a lover of people. I love people. And, I, and when I look at them, I like to, like he said, look for the gold. I love looking at people and thinking what's wonderful in them. It's so much better because I used to be around people that were always talking about uh, what they thought was wrong in somebody. You know, like you've heard me say, they were spiritual detectives <laughs> looking for wrong here and wrong. I'm telling you, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit changes us. But look for the golden people. Makes life so much easier. Just think, look at the good that's in the person you're near right now. There's so much good in you. That's what makes life wonderful when you just start thinking about the good that's in people. Look at the good that's in Bobby. Oh, my God. Oh, there's even good in Keith. Hallelujah. Amen, Keith. Right there. Turn to your neighbor and say, there's something really good in you. 
in our own spirit we're going to be more aggressive with ourselves from this day forward and honestly seriously you know I fully believe I, I honestly for God fully believe that some of you came up here this evening, this morning that you really have been fully delivered I really do believe it I believe you don't even know what happened yet that you're going to walk out of here and whatever that thing is that you were dealing with it's suddenly been minimized to the point that you see it through different eyes and you just go, that ain't no big deal. <laughs> ah, I'm done with that. How goofy. And you almost get embarrassed. I remember getting embarrassed by the stuff that I used to give in to. I'd go, how dumb was I then? Oh my God. But today's a brand new day. The fresh and new has come. I love that. I love that verse more and more every day. The fresh and new has come. Fresh and newest come. I don't know what we can sing after all that. Do you know anything we can sing? So I bless you, Father. I bless our people in the name of Jesus. I do. I'm not being, I love these people, Father. But nowhere near as much as you do. I speak blessing upon every one of them for this week. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 